0: And we are live, episode 26, Business and Buckets, brought to you by Fueled Supplements. Do you guys have trouble sleeping? Do you wake up groggy, just not feeling like you've even rested? Do you toss and turn at night? If so, it's time to get Knocked Out. It's back. The market's leading advanced sleep and recovery formula, Knocked Out, is now in stock with a Facelift with two new flavors and an improved ingredient profile. Experience an unreal night's rest with this all-in-one sleep formula. Has superior recovery, muscle repair, pain relief, and anti-inflammation. You fall asleep faster, you sleep deeper, and you wake up feeling more refreshed. Regulate depressive and sedative actions critical for relaxation. It helps decrease stress and anxiety, manages cortisol and adrenaline reset, but also increases growth hormone production. Two delicious flavors to suit your guys' taste buds. So watch your sleep improve, your mood improve, your productivity improve, and your life improved with Knocked Up, Knocked Out. Save some cash when you use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off at checkout when you purchase from fueledsupplements.com. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. I use this personally in my own supplemental te- uh, supplement stack. I really enjoy it because I am someone who will toss and turn at night I have to have a good routine before bed to get really good rest. So I fill up waking refreshed. I like to go to the gym in the morning to set the tone for the day. And a lot of that's a lot more complicated if I don't do my routine. And knockouts become part of that routine. It helps get me in some of that REM sleep, that deep sleep. And it does help me feel a little bit more refreshed when I wake up. I have the the flavor Marionberry, so highly recommend checking that out. Thanks again, the Fueled fam, for keeping me live and going here at uh, Business and Buckets. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off anything, FueledSupplements.com. Well, we're going to start the show with the NFL. There's not a lot of major headlines besides maybe some Aaron Rodgers drama, but I'm going to talk a little bit about the big-time players that are still available and guess some of the outcomes. The reason being is after Memorial Day weekend, we have a big date in the NFL, if you aren't familiar, and that's the June 1st deadline. This is big for teams that have different um, acquisitions and trades that have happened, player signings that uh, are also tied to compensatory picks. If you look at teams like my Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens, they've made a a living off comp picks and you can't sign specific players or make... Specific moves with certain times, or else you'll lose some of those compensatory picks. Just to give you an example, uh, when the Steelers got rid of Antonio Brown, well, it was supposed to be to the Bills, supposedly he shut that down, uh, but when they got rid of him, he was able or they were able to get a third round comp pick and actually drafted Deontay Johnson with that pick. Turned out working pretty good for them, in my opinion. He has a little bit of dropsies, but I think he's going to come on as a premier receiver in the NFL. Um, and they wouldn't have done that if they would have signed a specific, you know, free agent at a certain timeframe, um, with a certain kind of salary. So yeah, comp picks make a difference. So let's talk a little bit about the trade moves because there are some players that have a lot of drama and some baggage around them right now that potentially could be traded. First up, Deshaun Watson, buyer sell that he will be traded after June 1st before the season. I'm going to go with Sell. I've seen that his law cases supposedly won't even come close to being done until early 22. It's mid-21. We have the full season. I think there's just too much excess baggage here. I did talk in a previous show about them potentially swapping Aaron Rodgers with Deshaun Watson to disgruntled quarterbacks. I don't think Rodgers would want to go to Houston, though, because of the shit show that they have. I would assume that in his eyes, the Packers organization is better run at this moment than the Texans, but who knows? And um, I'm just going to go with a sell there, as I don't think that they can make that happen before the season. Well, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, I'm buying. Why not do this before the season if he's already asked to be out? He's publicly going and telling people that he wants to be out. He's told the teammates that he's been out. And if you saw Kenny Maine uh his last Sports Center show he landed an interview with Aaron Rodgers which how cool is that Aaron Rodgers able to come on spit some real shit for Kenny Maine kind of as a last F U ESPN move and Kenny Maine man he's one of my favorite Sports Center guys guys like him are a big reason that I'm even doing this uh but was a big reason I had a dream to be on ESPN and Sports Center once upon a time and realized that that wasn't the path that I wanted to take. But here I am, still, you know, involved in sports, heavily involved in sports, and having a little flair to it. But guys like that with their, um, you know, ad hoc ad libs during the the highlights on Sports Center, the the comedy input, I loved that. Always looked up to that and wanted to be able to provide that fun viewership for fans instead of just talking highlights. He makes it a little bit more interesting. And you know, there's a lot of other guys, Stuart Scott. Um, the great Stuart Scott was able to do that. Lots of guys that are still on the show that are doing that well. And it's something I want to bring to you guys as business and buckets evolves. Bring the humor side, bring the realism, bring the funness versus me just talking bullshit sports that you could probably get on a click of an internet um internet story. But yeah, Kenny Main, bravo. I'm sure he'll be, you know, very successful wherever you go. Hit me up. We can partner on a podcast, make something happen, who knows? Uh, But it was really cool that he was able to land Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers was just kind of talking about the team culture. It wasn't the Jordan Love move that the media wants to push this to be. And I was assuming that that wasn't it. Where there's smoke, there's fire. There's been a lot of damn smoke. And I I think he's fed up and ready to move. It's going to be interesting to see how the Packers try to balance them wanting to bring Rodgers back, because they kind of have to, and them trying to find what's best for the organization and how to move forward. So what teams could this potentially make sense for? Well, I think the Denver Broncos are a good fit. They need to have a quarterback. They've done this before with Peyton Manning. They have some assets to give, some picks. Uh, they took Patrick Sertain that that's a very good defensive cornerback that you know could be involved in a trade package. They have a couple quarterbacks on their team now uh, that could be doable for um, the Packers. You know, Somebody like Drew Locke would probably be in a quarterback competition with Jordan Love at the gate. I don't know if that really makes you feel good with the state of the franchise. And Teddy Bridgewater, I don't know if it's much better, but I'm sure they could find a package if the Packers really wanted to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. And then the Raiders, I think moving Derek Carr, there's been rumors of uh, Gruden breaking up with Derek Carr. To be honest, his 10-year contract really hasn't played out. Him and Mayock really haven't built much of a team. They haven't even made the playoffs. Can't get out of that division. So getting a a quarterback that puts you in more of a win-now mode might be something that's appealing to them. The Washington football team, right? They got Ryan Fitzpatrick, T- uh, Taylor Heineke. They don't really have a cornerstone at the quarterback position, and that division is a dumpster fire. You put Rodgers in with that defense, that defense of front seven that's nasty. Hey, they might have a chance. And then I'm also going to put in the ring the Browns because I love me some Baker Mayfield. I'm an Oklahoma Sooner fan, but is Baker Mayfield as good as Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely not. Are the... Um, Cleveland Browns guaranteed to win a Super Bowl this year? Absolutely not. If you put Rodgers on that squad, though, they got to be damn near a Super Bowl favorite. They got to be the top three. I don't know if anyone could go ahead of the Bucks and the Chiefs at this point, but that really makes things intriguing. I know the Browns like to make splashy moves, and that's something that, that has high potential. So those are the teams that I see. But the team that I'm going to uh, make a guesstimation on is going to be the Denver Broncos because of that front office, because of the moves like this that they've done in the past. And I think Rodgers would like to go somewhere that's less stress, less you know, bullshit that he has to deal with. He wants to go to a team where he could have his say and in input, and I think this would be a good fit for him. And then Julio Jones. Supposedly he had already put in the trade request a couple months back. It's now becoming a big media story I am buying as he had told people, he'd even said online that he doesn't want to return to Atlanta. So when someone's vocally saying out that to the internet, I would assume that, that you know, that's no bullshit. Uh, he requested a trade publicly, he won't be returning. What teams would make a would make sense for him? Well, supposedly he has interest in the Patriots. Guys like Rodgers and Julio, you can't just ship them off to a certain team. They'll they'll, you know, cause a commotion and make a big deal of it, and he wants to go to the Patriots. The Patriots need a big time receiver. They have added all these offensive weapons through the offseason. That's something that I think Bilicek's realizing. He's not very good at drafting them, so add them. You put Julio Jones on that team, that's a huge addition, and they could probably find a pretty simple package to, to, to mix up for them. Nikhil Harry being a good piece. And then you got the Jaguars, right? Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer, all these big, splashy moves. Tim Tebow. They're definitely going to have enough assets to be able to get a good trade in for the the Falcons. And I'm sure that Urban Meyer would love to just make more noise because that seems like something he likes to do. Obviously, the Jets need wide receiver help. They're trying to change the state of their franchise. You put a veteran in your receiving core like Julio Jones, that is an impact maker right away. And, you know, we got to think, too, with Julio and his age and some of his injuries and You know, he probably only has a couple really good years left. So you want to think of teams that really can make a difference now, not a young up-and-coming team, because I don't think Julio would really want that. So, yes, the Jets and Jags are good fits, but does he really want to go there? Not too sure. And then how about the Denver Broncos here as a receiver putting him in? How crazy would it be if they got Rodgers and Julio They'd give, have to give up way too many assets for that. But it's the NFL. It's becoming more like the NBA with the power of the players, the social media presence, and them being able to be publicly outspoken. So who knows? But I think it's going to be Bill Belichick and the Patriots. I thought he wanted specific moves, some power play moves this offseason to try to compete with Tom Brady because he doesn't like to be a loser and doesn't like to have the season that they had last year. So, you know, there's definitely potential here. I thought that he was going to make a run at Deshaun Watson, but with all this legality issues, I don't know if that's going to be as easy. So I do think that Julio Jones will probably end up a New England Patriot like Randy Moss did at the end of his career. And that is absolutely worst case scenario for me, but it definitely makes sense. And then I'm going to throw out Zach Ertz in here because with the whole Carson Wentz drama... You know, they have Dallas Goeder, They're trying to change. They've, you know, moved on from the coach. There's been a front office changes, lots of shit's going on in Philly. And I think with Zach Ertz only having a couple of high-level performance years left, it doesn't really make sense for them to pay as he has a $12.7 million cap hit, which is the largest at his position in 2021. I would assume that they would try to give a contender a call and see if somebody's willing to answer. What team would make sense for him? Well, how about the Colts, right? Go there with Wentz. You get to be with Frank Wright. Make some magic happen. They do have a little bit of uh, tight end depth, unlike uh, some other teams, but I think that's a possibility. And how about the Buffalo Bills? The Buffalo Bills uh, need tight ends. They need some more receiving attack outside of Stephon Diggs to help you know, open up the pa- the running game, but also to help Josh Allen. So I think that would be a good possibility. And I don't know. I just don't think that he's going to stay in in, uh, Philadelphia. I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills on this one because it makes the most logical sense. But don't be surprised if he ends up as an Indianapolis Colt. Now let's look at some guys that are still free agents, which we've talked about this a couple times. Most of the free agents that are available now are older vets, right? They've been there. They've done that. They probably don't have a lot of time left. You know, unlike the UFC that I talk about every show – Once you're in your 30s, you're just kind of, it's a very high risk investment for teams, unless you're maybe a kicker of some sort or, yeah, I mean, there's, or a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, Big Ben, guys that last a while. So we got Kawan Short. He's 32 years old and has played in five games the past two years, but he has been proven to make a difference. He still has the size and physicality. You know, a team that really likes to sign ex-Panther players as well that this might make sense for, the Buffalo Bills, right? They need some more defensive line help and need to shore up that run game that was really just terrible last year. So that's definitely a move that I could see happening. I don't know if he's going to have a long list of teams uh, reaching out to him, though, especially after, you know, the longevity and not being able to play a lot the past few years. How about Sheldon Richardson? He's only 30 which is still 30, but he's not on the other side of 30 yet. He had four and a half sacks and a force fumbled last year for the Browns. I think a good team that would um, be able to handle kind of a little bit of his attitude and be able to manage um, his strengths would be the saints. You put him in there with some of those defensive front. They lost Trey Hendrickson. You got Cameron Jordan. I think he'll be a plug and play guy uh, that would be great for new Orleans. And I think would make a lot of sense. And then another defensive rusher. I mean, there's a lot of front seven guys here still available on the free agency waiver wire. We got Geno Atkins. This guy was an animal. As a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and that defense was terrible, this guy always made us freaking double team him and really have to work, especially when trying to run the ball. How about a reunion with Mike Zimmer in Minnesota? That would be a great move for him. It's going to be interesting to see how teams re- respond and actually reach out to him after his big drop-off in performance last season. Uh, but the Packers could use some defensive line f- uh, front help. The Titans, obviously, uh, with Jadavion Clowney not performing and leaving, they could use some pass rushers as well. So Geno Atkins, I think, will definitely sign with the team. But Mike Zimmer, Minnesota, I think that would make a lot uh, make a lot of sense. Melvin Ingram, he's 32 years old. If you guys like the NFL hard knocks TV show as much as I do, he was highlighted on that show quite frequently. There's a lot of teams that need edge rushers that I think after the June 1st deadline will be making moves and making calls and teams probably already have, you know, who they want on the shelf ready. Um, I'm going to go with him staying with the Chargers. I think that's a good fit. I think they like him. As long as he could st- stay healthy, he could perform. They do have a lot of health injury issues. Darwin James is safety in and out of the lineup throughout his whole career. So maybe they don't want to take the injury risk, but I'm sure they could get a one year contract. I would expect all of these guys to get one year contracts. If they're younger, a lot of teams are going to put you on a prove it deal, especially with the salary cap implications of last season and COVID. Uh, and if not, you're going to be on a one-year contract just to try to help them win some games or be a contender. We also have Justin Houston, 32 years old, ex-NFL Defensive Player of the Year, eight sacks, 12 knockdowns last year, high performance. That's a that's a good season for somebody in his 30s. I hate to say this, but I think he'll probably sign with the Bills or the uh, the Ravens. They they just kind of fit his kind of attitude, fit the culture, fit the schematics. But you put Justin Houston on those two teams, that's scary. Uh, the Raiders, or the Ravens, are going to have to replace Matthew Judon. The Bills have some pass rushing help that they could shore up. But the Colts might be open to that as well. The Saints, we've talked about them before and their pass rushing needs. So I think there'll be some teams calling Mr. Justin Houston. But I think he'll most likely end up signing with the Ravens or potentially the Bills. Hopefully not as a Steelers fan, but there will be some interest. And then moving to the back end of defense, we have Steven Nelson, 28 years old. Uh, He was a high performing corner for the Steelers two years ago, had a little bit lower ranked numbers last season, but at 28 years old, I strongly believe this guy is still have high quality play. I was really concerned about the Steelers getting rid of Mike Hilton. Uh, well, not keeping Mike Hilton. He kind of said, fuck you, and went to a rival team. And then the um, loss of Steven Nelson. We have Joe Hayden, who's got to be on his last couple of years. I love Joe Hayden. He's great. But just you know, stating facts, typically once you're in your later 30s, a.k.a. Richard Sherman, those types of guys, it's hard to get a job um, because a lot of this has to do with speed. So I'm sure there are going to be teams that are giving Steven Nelson a call I wouldn't mind if he would return to the Steelers, but I think that bridge is very much broken. So how about the Cardinals, right? Patrick Peterson being gone. uh, They're going to need some secondary help. They drafted a young uh, corner, but maybe don't want to throw him into the fire right away. The Titans uh, getting rid of a couple guys in the back end. They could use some help in the secondary. The Packers, they drafted one, but getting a vet like this at a one-year cheap contract, why not? And then the Broncos as well. And then we have Richard Sherman, a little different end of 30s, 33 years old. I would love the Steelers to call Richard Sherman, but supposedly that hasn't been a thing so far. Uh, The Jets potentially could use him, the Saints, but I think he signs again with the 49ers. I think they get a a nice veteran minimum deal, and he wants to play for a contender at this point in his life, and the Niners are going to be that. That is for sure. How about KJ Wright? The Seahawks deciding not to re-sign him, 31 years old. Uh, The Steelers could use some middle linebacking depth. I know we got Vince Williams back on a team-friendly contract, Uh, but hey, if we can get him on a a nice team-friendly contract, why not? The Rams could use some middle linebacking help and the Washington football team. It's still weird having to say the Washington football team, by the way. Now we move to the offense a little bit. We have some offensive linemen, some really good ones available. I am honestly shocked these guys are still available. I'm not sure what the deal is here. But there's Russell Okung, right? I know him very well, living in Seattle. The Seahawks getting rid of him, definitely I don't think was a very bold move. I believe this was the Jimmy Graham trade that they got rid of Okung. Uh, but he's 32 years old, still performing at a high level. Would love the Steelers to give him a call. Uh, supposedly we have after these rookie contracts, you know, some change left. Uh, why not give him a call, make a move? The Raiders. They got Leatherwood. They made a lot of moves on their offensive line. But a sure vet like this, I'm sure, will not affect the team, especially a team that wants to focus on the run. The Lions, same thing, wanting to focus run first. You got DeAndre Swift um, and, and that backfield that you need to protect. And then the Chargers. Justin Herbert needs some protection. I don't think you could ever get enough offensive lineman help. And a guy that's 32 years old, you get him for a cheap contract, he performs well, uh, it's going to make your team that much better. Speaking of good linemen, we got Trey Turner, 27 years old. A really good run-blocking lineman. Steelers, where are you at? Let's give this guy a call. I think the uh, Okung signs with the Raiders, by the way. And I'm going with Trey Turner, 27, signing with my Steelers. Uh, but the Lions and Chargers will definitely be giving Mr. Trey Turner a call, I'm sure. We got Golden Tate. He's only 32. Seems like he's been in the league forever hasn't had massive performances of late, you know, playing with the giants though. That could be a Danny dimes thing. The youth movement that the giants had went through. I'm sure teams will be giving him a call. Teams like the Titans, potentially the dolphins, the giants, the Ravens. I think he ends up going to the Titans though. That kind of physical mentality, I think will be great for that culture. uh, Unless they do get Julio Jones. I know that AJ Brown's trying to, you know, pitch the Titans, but I think that would be a good move to have him there. And then the last guy we'll talk about, Todd Gurley, only twenty-six years old, which is wild to think about. Him, Le'Veon Bell are like, you know, second, you know, fifth commodities that could barely make a squad. No one really even cares about. But I'm sure a contender will give him a call, give him a couple snaps, have them be a part of that running back room. Uh, teams like the Bills who who need help in the run game, the Cardinals, who could use some depth, especially after um, not re signing God, what the hell is his name? Um, Arizona Cardinals running back last year. He came from Miami. What the hell is his name? Kenyon Drake. They didn't assign Kenyon Drake, so they could use some running back help. And then maybe the Bears, Montgomery hasn't performed. Get another vet out there. will be interesting to see these older free agents – So wild. I mean, running backs are wild. If you have a kid and he says, I want to be a running back, which in the days of Madden, create your own player, come from NCAA, that's all I ever wanted to be was middle linebacker running back. Todd Gurley is 26 years old and cannot get a job, ladies and gentlemen. That's how hard this sport is on the human body. And you can only get so many carries. It's like a UFC fighter. You only get so many uh, hits on the chin and then your chin is gone. Unless we'll talk about the Cody Garbrandt, you grow grow a beard, supposedly. But yeah, it's just wild to think at 26 years old, he he is just washed, right? His knees are gone. How many carries he took in Georgia? How many carries he took in high school? And that's some grown-ass play, right? I mean, it's a very, very physical game. We're starting to understand more with science, physical therapy, how much punishment that really does to your body. And I think Todd Gurley is a good example. Only 26, right? If... I don't know, five, four years ago, someone had told you Todd Gurley is going to be a free agent at 26. Do you want your team to get him? Most people would be like, hell yeah, put him on my squad. Uh, But here we are, 2021, Todd Gurley, 26 years old, can't get a job. Well, that is the quick update on some free agents. Wanted to talk a little bit of NFL, have a little bit of fun, make some guesstimations because there's still a lot of good talent left. I mean, if Julio goes to your team, Rodgers, Ertz, right? KJ Wright, Trey Turner, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, that's going to make some differences. So I'm just excited for football. Wanted to chat up some football, but let's talk UFC. Some kind of surprising news, maybe not so surprising. Paul Felder announcing retirement from the UFC. He's obviously a fight uh, analyst and commentator now. I believe he does a uh, lower level like LFA has some UFC events. So I'm assuming that he's getting a contract or getting confidence from whoever he's hired by that. He will be getting more jobs in the UFC world. Um, as a fighter, I love Paul Felder. I knew that it would be a scrappy bout. He was going to give it all he had. You know, he, he does Ironmans. He stays in shape. Uh, he's a fun guy. I like him in the commentating booth a uh, little bit bummed to see him go. Looking at the updated rankings, he's still ranked in his weight class, so maybe Dana White wants to keep him around. Uh, they moved him down to number eleven. You know, he was in a very stacked lightweight division, and looking at his career, like he has some good wins. He had fought and beat Edson Barboza, who's on a a big streak right now and has fought you know damn near everybody. Uh, Charles Oliveira, who is now the lightweight champion, he beat him and lost to him. Uh, lost to him early in his career, beat him later in his career. And then uh he was ranked number nine before retirement. Now he's number eleven, which he should be off. Doesn't make much sense. But Paul Felder, tip of the cap to you. Um, you know, awesome career as a fight fan. Love to watch him fight. It'll be interesting to see if he itches to come back at all. Because I feel like he's still got fighting left in him. You know what I mean? Let's see. He hangs out with all those non-fighter dudes, right? All those guys are like, ah, get out of there. You're not getting paid money. But I feel like this is a guy, yeah, 36 years old. He's probably not coming back. Uh, but it will be great to see him as a commentator through the fight world. I don't think he'll be going away anytime soon. Kevin Lee moving to middleweight. This motherfucker has fought welterweight, lightweight. He's fighting every kind of weight. Um It's interesting to see fighters move weight classes, though, and then they find the weight class that does make sense for them. And sometimes it just leaps them forward. It really helps them in their career. So this might be a move that really helps Kevin Lee. If we look at the middleweight division right now, it isn't that easy, though. You got Izzy. You got Robert Whitaker, You got Paula Costa, Marvin Vittori, Killer Gorilla, Derek Brunson, The Joker, Darren Till, Uriah Hall, Kevin Gastelum. There's a lot of good competition there. You look at welterweight, that's Gilbert Burns, Kamaru Usman, Leon Edwards, Kobe Covington. We know about the lightweight division. So, I mean, any of those weight classes, like, you know, they're yoked, they're stacked. If we look at it right now in the lightweight division, um, Kevin Lee's ranked 12th in the rankings. So, you know, obviously he's considered highly of. He's beaten some really good fighters. It'd be interesting to see him fight in middleweight, though. Uh, a nice fight announcement. little surprise for me, honestly. Uh, Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz. What a banger this is going to be in the bantamweight division. That's Jose ranked number four. That's Pedro ranked number eight. Lots of big fights coming up in the bantamweight division. Hopefully, Aljamain Sterling recovers, gets a a fight opportunity with Peter Yan. I mean, that has to be the next fight. I would assume that's still the deal. Uh, Corey Sanhagen, TJ Dillashaw coming back in the mix. Lots of fun things going down in the bantamweight division. And quickly, before we talk about this past Saturday's UFC Fight Night card, I want to give a shout-out to Bryce Meredith making his MMA debut. He fought in LFA. Uh, I bought Fight Pass just to watch the fight. You know, it's a, it's a first professional fight. He was fighting a guy that I think had 10, 15 fights on his record, professional fights. He did work, got caught, got rocked a little bit. He said he didn't, but he definitely got rocked. His legs went down. Uh, He was able to recover and piece him up a little bit. When these guys are fighting so early in his career, I mean, what? I think he started four to six months ago really taking this thing seriously. Uh, But he trains with the conditioning coach that's training lots of professional athletes. He works with Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's fighting out of the MMA lab that has a lot of killers in this division, including Kyler Phillips. You got Sean O'Malley, Um, you got a couple other guys, Batista Jr. So yeah, um, Casey Kenny, it's, it's fun to see a high level wrestler come to the MMA. I think wrestling's becoming a breeding grounds for future MMA stars and somebody like him who is making that decision not to pursue Olympic wrestling and assume, uh, pursue MMA will really help him define his strengths and weaknesses in the, the fighting world and will really help him develop earlier on versus, you know, maybe four or five years later. You're a little bit older, then you make those chances. You know, he looked raw, looked good on his feet, looked confident, but it's going to be fun to see Bryce Meredith in the MMA. Go YO, baby. So UFC fight night. Did not win a parlay this weekend. Feeling good. Almost won it. But it was a decent card. It was a decent card. At the end of the day, people were tuning in for the banger alert in the the main event. But early in the prelims, we had Court McGee with a unanimous decision over Claudio Silva. Court McGee with 110 strikes to Silva's 81. I had actually picked Silva. Silva had been really in some injury issues and hasn't fought a lot lately. And Court, you know, ultimate fighter OG, looking a little like he's getting towards the end of, uh, of the path. But he scored three takedowns uh, to uh, Silva's one, also while out striking him. Silva now is on a two-fight loss streak uh, in his comeback. Not sure where he goes from here, what his contract situation is. I wouldn't expect him to have a lot left in the tank, though. Coming back from all those injuries and recovery, two straight losses, you're going to be fighting some of the bottom of the barrel guys at this point. Uh, this is Court McGee's first one in three years, so that's huge for Court. Keep going. It seems like he loves to fight. He's always going to grind. He's always going to put the work in, so I would expect him to continue to fight, but both fighters seem, you know, tend to be on the, the latter half of their careers, closer towards the, the door out versus the, the contention row moving up. And then we had Big Ben Rothwell with the second round submission over Chris Barnett. Chris Barnett. This is his UFC C debut after a couple canceled bouts. What a character this son of a gun is! He's got lots of energy, a little bit of fun spin on him. He's dancing, he's goofing. You know, he's he's a big boy. Uh, he's a thick boy, shorter stockier guy. Rothwell really didn't want to play with this guy and outstruck him 72 to 34. He got the takedown and went for the submission early in round two. Uh, you know, not a lack of options for either fighter in the heavyweight division. I I'm not too sure what Barnett's future holds, but I think he'll be somewhat of a fan favorite just by the the craziness of him, uh, the the energy that he brings, the uniqueness, and the the him being true to himself seems to do very well. You look at the Sugar Show, people love that. This guy seems raw, seems like a guy you'd want to have a beer with, um, and I, I'm sure he'll get some fights. But tough loss as Rothwell, you know, 39 years old, definitely. You know, not a a big time uh, fight for your UFC debut and then to take a loss. That's got to be tough. Um, You know, I'm like I said, not sure how much slack Barnett will get, but I'm sure he'll have some options. Ben Rothwell will be outside the top 15 here, but there's lots of different people to fight within the heavyweight. uh, That'll be fun for him. And, you know, he seems like a guy that wants to keep on going. Moving to the main card, the first bout here, very interesting. I had taken Jack Hermanson, the Joker, on my parlay. He ended up with a unanimous decision over Edmund Shabazian. The fight was looking sketchy early. I was like, "Oh shit, here we go!" Like first main card fight, I, I was two and uh, uh I was one and zero oh for my parlay. You need to have the six fights to to win the parlay. And uh, I was like, "Wow, well, I'm gonna lose early." Edmund's jab and speed on his feet was just piecing the Joker up. I mean, that left jab was just joker didn't even move and he was just getting pieced up pieced up i was like he's got to figure it out he's got to take him down the announcers are talking about him taking down well guess what round two he came out went straight for the takedown got the takedown grinded edmund out i think edmund had gotten up and down a couple times through the next couple rounds but joker was able to stay on top there's a three-round fight because it's not a main event and um you know was able to take the victory, get some ground and pound. Edmund was looking a little rough towards the end of that fight, but Edmund's only twenty three. I couldn't imagine being twenty three years old and fight, fighting Jack Hermanson. Uh, he looked really confident. He looks legit on his feet. I think he'll be fine and take this as a learning experience. Work on some takedown defense, some wrestling and jujitsu of his own. But his, his top game and striking really impressed me. And um, to be honest, is you know I, I I understand why he's in the rankings. I guess we could say that. He is ranked number 10, and the Joker is now up to number 6 over Darren Till with that win. I'd always seen his name in the rankings. Like, "Eh, I'm not too sure what to think about this guy. Uh, But yeah, his striking game is legit, and now I I understand why. Um, Jack really needed this win, though. It it wasn't pretty, but it was a win. You got to find a way to win. I would love to see Edmund fight Kevin Holland. In his next fight, these are two guys that struggle with the takedown. I know DC's been working with Kevin Holland. I saw on social media, I believe, yesterday, uh, which is really cool. But that would be a badass fight. Banger alert for sure. Um, Or potentially Omari Akhmadov, who's number 13 in the division. Uh, But Edmund's not going to be fighting anybody else higher. He's got Kelvin, Uriah, Darren Till. Yeah, and then we're up to the top five as a 10th ranked fighter. On a loss, that's not going to happen. But Kevin Holland would definitely be intriguing. And then the Joker's kind of stuck in purgatory at the moment. I think he's going to have to let the division shake out as there's a lot of fights booked, right? Pretty much everyone in the top... Yeah, everyone in the top five has a fight booked. Jariah Hall, Kevin Gaslam, 8-9. So he's going to need to let th- some things shake up. Maybe a rematch with Kelvin Gaslam, as Kelvin needs a big win. Um, you know, the Joker needs a big win. That's so, You could get that loss off your record. That's a potential fight that could happen. I doubt that that happens, but... If he needs to take a fight shorter in the shorter term, that's something that's a possibility. But I think he lets things shake out just a little bit. And then we got Ricardo Ramos, unanimous decision over Bill Algeo. This was another parlay I had. I took Ramos. He was in control throughout the fight. Algeo clearly had the power advantage in this fight. Ramos had eight takedowns. That was enough for the unanimous decision which I believe this should have been a split decision though. I thought I was a little worried when they said unanimous because I thought Algeo definitely went around with the striking. Um, Algeo had 90 total strikes versus 76 or, and 76 of those 90 being significant. He was definitely laying out the wood with uh, Ricardo. Ramos had 57 strikes and 53 of them being significant. So a lot lower volume. Uh, Ramos is right under 50 in the rankings. Um, I think he could have a lot of fun fighting Gavin Tucker. Alex Caceres would be great fights for fight fans. And then Algeo at 31 years old. You know, this is a tough loss for him, you know, as he's, you know, outside the top 50. Um, I'm sure he'll continually, you know, be fun to watch and try to move his way up. Regardless, you know, he's only 31, which is technically your fighting prime. But tough loss, nonetheless, for Mr. Bill Algeo. This was the, the parlay buster. I had not heard of Norma Dumont-Viana, right? I mean, this division doesn't even have rankings. You look at the woman's featherweight, it just says Nunez and blank. There's not a lot of deep talent here, but Norma Dumont-Viana, the split decision over Felicia Spencer was a scrappy battle back and forth. I thought Felicia was about to give herself a chance at the decision, um, but this was my parlay buster. Norma definitely looked faster and stronger on the feet. And Viana had landed 88 strikes and one takedown to Spencer's 70. But this has got to be the toughest loss to Spencer's career. You know, she's had chances at the titles. At 30 years old, though, I just don't think this really helps her cause. You know, I don't know if this really helps the featherweight division cause. You know, maybe this is a future Nunez opponent at that that division. But we'll see what happens with this division. It's just rocky right now. And uh, pretty rocky for Felicia Spencer. Norma might be a future position for Nunez. There's no ranking so I don't really know, you know, how this is going to shake out, but I think that Felicia is going to have to go to the drawing board and figure out what she wants to do. I don't know if she could cut down to another weight class uh to the bantamweight division, but yeah, it's just not working for her at this moment. Really tough as she's had, you know, title chances before. And then we had a little heavyweight brawl before the co-main and main. We had Jared Vandera with a unanimous decision over Justin Taffa. Holy shit, does Vandera have a chin. He was able to outlast Taffa, who was just trying to throw fight finishing shots. And I mean just throwing them. You look at Justin's head. It was cut open. I was like, oh, man, he's getting close to the finish. And he never looked phased. This is a tough son of a bitch. Um, Taffa was going for the KO and had landed 74 strikes, which were all significant. Jared had landed 141. So clearly outlanded, but Taffa was going for the power punches, trying to finish it. Wasn't able to knock out the very tough Vandera. So what's next? Well, Jared races maybe a a Chase Sherman, who is a little bit higher in the rankings. We look at the heavyweight rankings. Neither of these guys are in the top 15, but not that far out. And then um, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Taffa. I mean, all these guys are in the middle of heavyweight, but again, you know, there's going to be lots of fights here. The Ben Rothwells and, and so on and so forth. So let's talk the co-main event. Carla Esparza, the cookie monster with a second round TKO over young Shunyon. I, uh, I, <laughs> I heard them announce this during the fight and I was like, all right, that's how you say it. And then now I look at her name, Shunyon, Shunyon, something like that. Sorry, Jan, I obviously can't pronounce her name. But the Cookie Monster, looking the best that she ever has. Aggressive and more physical than Jan. I had picked Jan anyway, so my, my parlay would have been busted later. She stuck to the ground and it went there, which was very surprising. Um, she's on a five-fight win streak now and is the next best best option for Rose Namai unless they rematch her with Wei Lei, which wouldn't surprise me. But spars Esparza, an OG Ultimate Fighter alum, she actually beat Rose in the Ultimate Fighter to be the first champion of this division. So she definitely has the experience. She's got the toughness. But at that point, Rose was so raw versus Carla is pretty stylistically the same as she was when she was in the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, better striking. But Rose has improved so much and become natural within her, her fight game that I think that her level of competition is going to be higher. But if they don't give her the waylay matchup definitely carla esparza has earned that opportunity really cool to see her come back as i kind of wrote her off a couple years ago she was taking some losses um she was able to outstrike yan and was able to take her down three times and just pounded her up i mean Shinyan was looking brutal right she was bleeding all over she was getting cut open uh this is what helped her become the first champion though at the ultimate fighter So, hey, who knows? I'm very impressed and didn't know that she had that much left in the tank. She's 33 years old, uh, which, again, not that old in the fight game. But for a woman that's, you know, got wrestling and and traditional style, I don't know how much more she could add to her game. So it will be interesting to see what happens. With Jan, she now moves down to the fourth-ranked fighter. Carla's number three. Marina Rodriguez, five. Mackenzie Dern, six. I would love to see her fight marina or mckenzie who are both really boosting their way up the rankings and could use a high level fight um you know jan's ranked ahead of her i didn't know a lot of jan i had seen some things i know i'd watched her last fight she looked impressive but carla sparsa just beat the shit out of her and uh i don't know if she could handle marina or mckenzie at this point but that definitely fights that make sense moving forward for the ufc And then we have the main event. We have the banger alert. And it was a banger. I put money down that this would end in the second round. I did not think this would last. Well, sadly, it lasted. Rob Font with the unanimous decision over Cody, no love Garbrandt. Got that one right. Font with that six inch reach advantage was just piecing Cody up. It's so weird watching Cody fight after what he had done to Dominic Cruz where he just seemed so much faster, so much more ahead than Dominic. Dominic couldn't do anything and flat out got destroyed for the first time in his UFC career. Well, this is what happened with Cody in this fight. The reach advantage was huge. Font picked him apart with that left jab. Cody was just sitting there, right? He likes to be about the cage and fire away that right bomb that he has. But Rob was just piecing him up, wouldn't get too aggressive. Once he was piecing him up, he'd get a couple combos and then get back out. So he wasn't within Cody's range. And Cody kept backing up to the cage to try to use that to really come out. Rob wouldn't let him. Um, he landed a lot of clean power punches, and somehow Cody lasted. I mean, I was telling my friends uh, before the fight, I saw this big, thick fighter beard that Cody had. And I was like, hey, you know, when it comes to the judges, like, this makes a big difference because. You know, I I haven't had a thick beard like that and been punched. I feel like it's a little spongy, helps with the impact maybe just a little. But when it comes to the judging, you don't get to see the clean looks because it just goes like into this black beard. You don't really get to see the facial expressions. Like guys with long hair, it makes it more dramatic because when they get hit, the hair flails around. But I was saying, hey, maybe this helps Cody. Well, with the power punches that I saw Rob land and the amount of volume that Rob landed, I thought Cody's chin, especially after the past few knockouts, was totally gone. Maybe it's the beard. Maybe that really made the difference. I'm not sure, but Cody somehow was able to last. Um, Outside of that, what's next? Well, for Cody, he's still ranked. I think he'll still have an opportunity to fight for the flyweight uh, title just because of the lack of high-level fighters there. I like the fighters there, and I think they deserve respect, but Dana White's going to say, hey, Cody Garbrandt would clean this class out. Let's put him up against Figueredo. He's now the fifth-ranked fighter, moving back behind Jose Aldo in the bantamweight division. There has been a little bit of Twitter back and forth and some beef. Obviously, I'm following Sean's podcast, Twitters, all that shit. He wants the fight with Cody Garbrandt. You beat, you win on July 10th. This would be a great fight, right? Cody's lost. Let's see. He has lost four of his last five. Definitely an opportunity. You you put Sean up against a top you know, five ranked fighter in this division. That's a big leapfrog, but he is a fan favorite, puts him close to a title contention, which I think it's around that time for him in his UFC career. And I think Dana will know that and Sean Shelby. But anyways, back to this fight. Cody was forced into wrestling with three takedowns. Um, He was successful, but Font was able to get out and do whatever he needed to back up on the ground. Cody, like I said, would back up against that fence and try to use that, that big right. But Font was smart. Didn't get overly aggressive. Just pieced him apart. Font now on a four-fight win streak, and I would assume he's very close to a title shot. You know, this division is kind of weird with Aljamain as a champion right now. Not too sure what the timeframes are, if they got to book fights in the meantime. And if TJ Dillashaw wins against Corey Sanhagen, I would assume he's the next in line. But outside of that, if that fight actually does happen, TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen, and TJ does win, I would expect Font to be the next guy. Uh, but others have fight books, so it's it's going to be tough. Font might get the Justin Gaethje situation where they wait for a Peter Yan rematch. That fight happens. TJ is next in line, and he's just kind of out there waiting. And I don't know if he's going to want to wait or if he's going to want to fight again. But regardless, I love watching this guy fight from pizza delivery to title contention. You got to love it. Um that's it for the UFC for a couple weeks. We don't have back-to-back uh, Saturday fights. We have Memorial Day coming up this weekend. Tons of NBA playoff action that we'll dive into. But the next UFC card on the schedule will be Fight Night June 5th, which is, was it two weeks? This Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. And it is headlined by Jar- Jarzino Rosenstrike and Augusto Sakai. It's not a very deep card really that main event is the card uh, but hey I love to have fights you never know you watch the cards you watch the, the earlier fights you find guys that become champions you know a couple years down the road or guys of styles that you like you become a fan um, that's I know how I get in the UFC you watch the the prelims or or, or that, some of the fights on the main cards in these fight nights and you find fighters like oh damn this guy is gonna be something right I remember doing that with John Jones his second fight in the UFC. I was like, man, this guy's going to have the UFC title in a few years. Ended up getting it a year later because the whole Rashad Evans dropped out the title opportunity. So you never know. You never fucking know. But it's playoff time, baby. I can't wait to go to Salt Lake City and watch my Jazz play in round two. So let's talk NBA. Some headline news in the NBA. My guy, Jordan Clarkson, winning sixth man of the year. I mean, this guy has locked that award up. Months ago, so no surprise there, but round of applause. You got to love seeing the underdog teams have guys win awards, and very much due respect to Mr. Jordan Clarkson, the flamethrower in Utah Jazz's secondary, uh, second, secondary squad, I guess, bench squad. Julius Randle, most improved player, not too surprised about this one either. He had led the Knicks to being back to Nick basketball. You know, I was actually thinking the other day. I think they have a higher seed this year than they did back when they they had Amari Stoudemire and the, and that team that was supposed to make moves um, and obviously didn't. I think Carmelo was still there at the time. Um, but yeah, Julius Randle, most improved player. What an awesome performance and season he has had. And I was taking a break and looked at my phone. The NBA fined Kristaps Porzingis fifty thousand dollars as he apparently went to a club in L.A. after the team's first playoff game on Saturday. Like, bro, this is why I can't pick the Mavs to beat the Clippers. Everyone's writing the Clippers off on game one. We'll get into this. There's too much youth and inexperience. You're trying to win a title and you're out in the club? Like, come on, man. I know you're young, but, like, can't you wait to at least after the playoffs? You have enough money to fly yourself to wherever the hell you want to go. Like, come on, man. Come on, man. Now, the play-in tournament, we had some action. I enjoyed the play-in tournament. I know some people thought the games were boring. But when you play one game, winner takes all, at a professional level, I'm having fun with it. I enjoy it. So the first play-in tournament, we had Pacers over the Hornets. I had picked the Pacers to win this game um, and then changed it because of the Karis Levert news. Malcolm Brogdon was game-time decision. Well, Malcolm Brogdon played. He played well. Obviously, Levert didn't, but they just smothered the Hornets. I mean smothered the Hornets. And the Hornets really showed their youth and inexperience in this game. Um, Absolutely no defense whatsoever. Uh, The Pacers don't play a lot of good defense, but the Hornets were just letting them score at will. Miles Bridges, the only Hornet that really looked like he showed up to play. Lonzo Ball, not looking very good. 14 points on 14 shots in his first technically playoff game, right? Elimination game. I expected him to perform better and the shooters on that team to play better, but it seems like they didn't even wake up and realize that they were playing for a playoff chance. Or I yeah, I I don't know. Maybe they want a lottery. I don't know what the hell was going on. That was terrible though. Sabonis with 14 points, 21 boards, nine assists. Sabonis with 21 boards. That's just too easy. You can't let that happen. O'Shea Braset and Dougie McBucket's just doing work in this game. Um, it's kind of funny. I had Doug McDermott and TJ McConnell on my fantasy team. And even without the idea of Karis Levert and Brogdon, I wanted to pick them. Didn't have the balls to do. So really wish I would have done that. Fucked up a parlay of mine. Uh, but anyways, Pacers move on opportunity in elimination game to play the loser of the wizards and Celtics winner of that. Then would get in as the eight seed. Well, the Celtics beat the, the wizards. I had picked the wizards in this game I really thought Russell Westbrook and Bradley Bill were going to show up to play. Both of them nursing some injuries, especially Bradley Bill. Um, you could tell they weren't healthy. It was a very ugly game. Westbrook had 20 points on 18 shots. Bill had 22 points on 25 shots. Very inefficient basketball. But let's talk about Westbrook. I never give this guy a chance. I, I know I talked about this last week. I always say, "Hey, he's never going to do it. He's not a, a team mem- like team player. He doesn't make his team that much better. He, you know, he's like a black hole. He, f- he needs to have the ball in his hands. Sure, he's doing the assists and other things, but he's shooting inefficiently. When the game's on the line, he's your superstar. He ends up with the ball. It usually doesn't work out that well. And, um, you know, not a very good performance here. We'll talk about the not very good performance in game one against the Sixers as well." but this guy's just not going to win championships. This is not a championship type player, right? He he reminds me of like the Carmelo Anthony, but a point guard version, you know, he's doing amazing things, breaking records, his athleticism, no one can deny it, but he's just not going to be a part of a winning basketball team. And as good as Bill was almost the point per leader in the season, that team just wasn't well developed enough and he couldn't put the team on his back to get him further. But yeah, I just had to talk a little bit about that because it's just frustrating seeing people try to vouch for Westbrook and, and act like, well, he's doing this these amazing things. He's one of the best players in the league. I wouldn't even have him in my top 30, honestly. I'd have to look to see even if he's in my top 50, but um, just some wild shit. Uh, Robert Williams did end up playing in this game. I know he was questionable. He ended up playing hurt, um, made an impact. But Jason Tatum with the 50-burger on the Wizards, uh, the Wizards don't know what defense is. Clearly, they try to do the outscoring Brooklyn-type basketball. Uh, but 50 points, no matter how you slice it, that's a performance for Jason Tatum. Boosting his stock, putting the team on his back without Jalen Brown. Big win for the Celtics. But i got to give props to Ish Smith. You know, Westbrook wasn't playing well. He went to the locker room with six minutes left in this game. Ish Smith doing his thing. He was hooping. It was fun to see him have an opportunity My favorite part about playoffs is random dudes making an impact and earning contracts. Let's look at this game. I want to say he had a pretty good box score. Ooh, you have to go to the regular season, even though it's a play-in game. Mr. Ish Smith finished this game with... 32 minutes, 14 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 7 for 11 from the field. What a good game, Mr. Ish Smith. Got to give a little shout-out to the guy. And then, from there, we had the Grizzlies beating the Spurs as expected. I'd pick the Grizzlies here. Tough, scrappy game between these two teams. Really just putting it all out there. Sucks to see Popovich outside the playoffs again. Rudy Gay and DeMar DeRozan with 20 points apiece trying to get the job done. But the Memphis big three of Jonas Valenciunas, uh, Valanchunas, John ja Morant, Dylan Brooks combined for 67 points and 36 rebounds. I believe Jonas had 23 of those. Uh, that was just too much to overcome for the Spurs. And then the one game that we were all waiting for, the Lakers beating the Warriors. That's what I had picked. This is the one playing game everyone to see. This is why the playing tournament's fun. Um, you know, the Lakers still one of a contending favorite having to put their work in after not having chemistry towards the end of the year. I knew this would be a fun game. LeBron versus Curry. We've seen this year in and year out. I expected a superstar shootout in this game though. And it really wasn't. I mean, Curry led the Warriors with 37 points and had a good game himself, but LeBron was flopping all over. The eye poke at the end of the game was way over dramatic. AD with 25 points LBJ with a triple double. So good performances, but it's not like they're out there putting the team on their back trying to save some energy and then it almost cost them as this game was close. The third quarter was really where the Lakers won. They were trailing at half and had just a really ugly half. Um, The Warriors were used to dominating the third quarter in their championship years when they had Clay and Steph, that was always their quarter. So it was kind of ironic that the Lakers really won the game and made a big comeback after the second half. Schematic changes. great. It's great to see LeBron win. And it's it's really built up in everyone's playoff appetite. Shows the fun for the play-in for future years. You know, this is probably one of the my favorite games that I've seen in a while. Um, but the big impact of these play-in games is going to be the rest, right? It's going to be... Um, the energy that these guys have going into the play in, especially teams like the uh, Grizzlies and the Warriors who have to keep playing to try to get in. So let's talk the battle for the eight seed as the Celtics earned the seven, the Lakers earned the seven, the Wizards ended up beating the Pacers. I had picked the Wizards. And the games between these teams all year, I had talked about it uh, as we had prepped them up as potential playoff previews. They were scoring like 140, 120, 150 points a game. And that's exactly what it was. The Warriors, uh, or the Wizards, um, I figured with Westbrook and Bill would be too much. Sabonis ended up fouling out with the poorest play of the Pacers. Did get a triple-double. 19 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. Brogdon had 24 points himself, but on 23 shots, so not very efficient. The team wasn't really helping the stars of the Pacers. Bill, though, with an efficient 25. Rui Hichamara and Westbrook just going to the hole, getting baskets at will through that Pacers defense. Literally looked like a knife through butter. And they both finished with 18 points. That was enough to get the job done as the Pacers. See you later. And then we move to the West. The Grizz beat the Warriors, which I did not pick. Steph Curry and the Warriors had beaten them just a few days prior. Steph Curry had put up 46. With that in mind, I figured Steph Curry would have to put the team on his back as well. Uh, But he didn't have enough left in the tank after playing playoff basketball against a very good defensive Lakers team. The last two weeks have been playoff basketball for both of these teams. But the Grizz are just younger and scrappier. John Morant was able to do whatever he wanted. The athleticism to finishing to the rim was just artwork. 35 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists for Ja, getting his Grizzly on. I'm on my Grizzly. Uh, Curry had 39, but no help from the bench besides Poole's 19 potential six man and the, uh, the future for the Warriors. Apparently though, Steph needed another 46, like he did a couple uh, weeks before, cause it wasn't enough as they fall short and get a join J Cole in the off season. See what I did there. Um, but yeah, you know, huge advantage for the teams playing these guys that have come from the play in. I could sever consider that heavily in my picks and predictions. So let's talk the first round. well, One of the most interesting matchups of the whole first round is the rematch of last year. We got Giannis and the Bucs versus Jimmy and the Miami Heat, the defending Eastern Conference champions. Well, I picked the Bucs because I thought the biggest difference in the series was some of the player changes for the Miami, not as strong, but also Drew Holiday for the Bucs, this is a proven vet, he's done amazing things, he's had good chemistry with the Bucs, and I thought he'd be the difference maker. One game one, he finished with 20 points, 11 assists. This game one went into overtime. You could see how fatigued both teams were, especially the Miami Heat, who have been really scrapping and clawing their way out of that play-in tournament uh, to be able to face the Bucks. But um, whoever wins this series is going to come out tired and beat up, in my opinion. Duncan Robinson game one looked really good with 24 points, 7 of 13 from 3. But if they want to win the series, they're going to need a lot more offensive help from Jimmy Butler, who only had 17 points on 22 shots. Trevor Ariza, two for six from three. And Tyler Hero, 10 points on 10 shots off the bench. Not going to do well for you. Dragic doing his typical Dragic thing, playing well off the bench with an efficient 25 points. That's great. But they're going to need more team basketball to, to continually beat the Bucs as they lose this heartbreaker in overtime. I had picked... Uh, Milwaukee to win Game One and Two uh, definitely happened that way. Giannis and Middleton Game One inefficient games. It's a bad sign for Miami if they lose to inefficient games with Giannis and, and Chris Middleton. Giannis with 26 points on 27 shots and Middleton with 27 on 22 shots. But I'm going to stick with my my pick even after what we've seen. I'm going Bucks and Six because Game Two happened last night. Not a lot to say about game two. The Bucks came out hot, and Miami just looked lost in the sauce. Uh, Dwayne Denman looked good off the bench, but Bryn Forbes, five threes in the first half as the Bucks score 78 first-half points. I had picked Milwaukee and the under again in this one as the first game was under, and this one barely went over even though it was a murder. They just got murdered out there. I mean, they were so hot shooting at the gates. It was redonkulous. So now the Bucs are up 2-0, heading to Miami. I expect Miami to still steal some wins here, but I don't think they have enough left in the tank. Jimmy's going to really have to put the team on his back if they want to have a chance. But the sad news is the winner of this right series is going to be beat up. Milwaukee's going to need a sweep to be able to get some rest, in my opinion. So that brings us to Mavs and Clips. I had picked the Clips to win this series. I would assume they would win game one. I really expected the experience of L.A. to overcome Luca and the young Mavs team, especially finding out Porzingis is out in the club. Find me at the club, uh, but game one, Luca took it to the Clippers. I mean, took it to him. 31 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. This guy is the future superstar of the NBA. I don't care about Zion. This guy is the face. The Mavs shot 47% from three. And the Clippers, who are the best three-point shooting team in the league, 27%. I don't expect that to happen again. Just like the Jazz and Lakers game that we will we'll get into here. Everyone's counting out the Clippers after that game. You know, it's pandemic, Paul. They're fucking cursed. They're going to fall apart. I. It's like every year the playoffs come around and one game happens and they just assume that's going to tell the story of the whole se- the whole series. They play seven for a reason. It comes down to coaching, it comes down to matchups, and it's a, really a game of chess. This isn't going to be a, a, a easy win for the Mavs. I'm still taking the Clippers in six in this series, but even though they weren't efficient, Kawhi had 26 points and PG-13 had 23, but they're going to need some more support from the role players and bench. I believe the game's tonight, right? It's Tuesday, by the way. Five o'clock right now. Yep, Mavericks NBA TV Clippers at seven thirty. So I'm I'm really interested and intrigued for Game Two. Um, I expect the Clip, the Clippers and Kawhi, Kawhi specifically to come out. He had left Toronto. He wanted to be in a contention team. He's here. He's got to start putting the the team on the back. Get the claw out. Make some moves and smack the young Mavs team in the face. If the Clippers are going to win, it's got to be physical and it's got to be good defense. Don't try to outshoot the the Mavs and just make it a scoring fest because that's exactly what they want. But this is what happens when you rest and you don't have chemistry and momentum with your starting lineup. The Clippers haven't played meaningful basketball together since the 13th before last game, which was Saturday. So Saturday is the 22nd, the 13th. That's nine days for the Clippers that they haven't been in that mode. So that does affect the chemistry. And I think we saw that on game one. Uh, but this series is going to be a blast. Lots of superstars here. Luka and his comrades now have confidence, which is scary if you're a Clipper fan. But I'm still going with the Clippers. I think the Mavs' year to re- wreak havoc in the in the West is going to come next year. So let's talk an Eastern Conference matchup. We have the Nets versus the Celtics. Little 2v7, little Kyrie return action Well, the Nets have so much talent, I expected a four-to-five game series, but who knows with the lack of chemistry with their starters, right? Um, Is James Harden really healthy? Is Kevin Durant really healthy? You know, There's lots of ifs, but KD was the man in game one. He had 32 and 12, even though he went one from eight from three, and the big three of Brooklyn, 83 of their 104 points, so definitely taking over. I'm surprised the Nets kept the Celtics under 100, which if you're a Celtics fan is not good news. Tatum led the Celtics with 22 points on 20 shots. Robert Williams, really good off the bench. Well, decent off the bench, but they need more scoring, right? You got to be scoring 120 plus a game to beat the Nets, and they weren't having that after the first game. You got to have Tatum going with those 50 burgers like he did in the play-in. Without Brown, they're doomed, but I think if they want to have a chance, they're going to need Evan Fournier to be scoring 20 plus a game. And I'm not betting on that. I'm going Nets and five. I think the Celtics win one in Boston um, on a bad night shooting for Brooklyn. And the the Boston fans are just going to be ripping into Kyrie. That game's on actually right now. End of the first quarter. We got the Brooklyn Nets. 40 points. The Celtics 26 on TNT. Yeah, not going to look good. Joe Harris leading the Nets with 16 points. That's got to be all threes, right? I had Joe Harris on my fantasy team. I got third in both my leagues. I always get third. I just have too many injuries. The the Donovan Mitchell injury cursed me, man. Joe Harris, 16 points, four for four from three. Try telling y'all. It's great to see him uh, produce and put in. I'm sure they're trying to get some rest and keep their guys healthy for future games in the playoffs, which, fuck the Nets. I really don't want them to win, but they probably will. Um... Let's talk about a little action of game one and game two. Blazers Nuggets. I had picked the Blazers to win. I expected them to come out the gates hot and win game one, and they delivered. This was an upset special of mine. I figured without Jamal Murray, um, with Damian, CJ, and Nurchik, they were going to get the job done. Not only was that the case, but the bench of Portland came to play in game one. We had Anthony Simons and Melo on the bench combining eight for 13 from three and that's exactly what you want if you're the blazers mvp front runner Nikola Jokic with 34 points on 27 shots and michael porter jr with 25 points on 21 shots in game one they got to have more efficiency here and dominance um from them plus they need help from their bench they are missing will barton Monty morris is coming off of injury and there's somebody else another guard that i can't think off the top of my head that's been hurt But also, Aaron Gordon, 16 points on 16 shots. This was their big trade acquisition that was going to make a difference. And I I just haven't seen it, especially in game one. Kind of interesting, right? We have Carmelo returning to Denver, who had a history career there. Uh, Nurchick's returned to Denver. He had been a part of the Nuggets plan until they drafted uh, Jokic and said, see you later. So it was good to see those guys uh, come out hot first game. Melo's big career there. Um, you know, I think that's mixed feelings if you're a nuggets fan. Uh, probably mixed feelings for Carmelo as well. I love Marcus Howard coming off the bench and making some moves, especially with their lack of guard uh, point guard play. Um, I don't know if that's good news if you're the nuggets that he's there. Uh, the guy is a flamethrower he could shoot. I could see him being a six man one day potentially. Um, I, I know I'm very well from the big East being a Nova fan and him playing in Marquette and just haunting us every single season. Um, but yeah, I, I love seeing guys like this get meaningful playoff minutes when it counts. Damien with 34 points, game one CJ with 21. I was going to stick, or I'm still sticking with Blazers in seven, even though last night game two, another ugly game. Lillard, though, in the third qu- or second quarter, really wanted to try a comeback approach, was hitting threes. I think he had six threes in the quarter. He showed up to play, but the rest of the team didn't. Melo didn't have the same performance. Simons wasn't shooting well off the bench. Um, what really made the difference in this game is when Lillard got hot and got him within five before half. Uh, the, the Nuggets had switched Aaron Gordon onto Mr. Damian Dame Dalla. And the length and athleticism of Gordon, I felt like disrupted some of Damien's shots. I think he'll still get over that. You know, if they do want to keep Gordon on um, uh, Damien, maybe they start doing them off ball more, running them through screens and making Gordon just chase them and tire out. Because uh, the Nuggets do need Aaron Gordon to score if they want to win, no matter how well a good defense he plays against Damien. But that's going to, you know, take his energy out. But outside of that, Damien had 42 and 10 last night. CJ still put it at 21, but their bench, Carmelo with five, Giles with zero, Hollis Jefferson two, TJ Leaf with two, Damian Jones Jr. acquisition from Miami two, Nazir Little three, Enos Cantor, four, Simons three, Ellaby th- zero. So a lot of guys getting minutes that normally wouldn't because it was a, a blowout for majority of the game, but they need more. But good games... Uh, by Jokic 38 points on 20 shots shooting more efficient that's huge for them Paul Millsap getting 15 and 7 off the bench you gotta love to see that Uh, they're going to need more of that if they want to continue to get victories in this series but this is going to be a fun series this is going to be one that's going to come down the wire I'm still thinking seven and I'm still going with my guy Damian Lillard as he's out there proving the haters wrong every single year And then we moved to my jazz game one. Oh, the jazz. No Donovan Mitchell. Um, Basically, uh, the team had woken up from their nap late afternoon after Donovan had been cleared. He had talked to the media like he's playing. Ends up not playing. Um, You know, I don't know what the deal is. Really hasn't come out if the PT team was like, hey, he needs one more time. Supposedly, he's confirmed for tomorrow's game, but he was confirmed before that game. So who knows what's going to happen here? But I figured with the Jazz beating the Grizz without Mike Conley and Mitchell before earlier in the season, I think it was late March, and them coming off like playoff basketball the two past two weeks, the big game against the Warriors, that they weren't going to have a lot left in their tank. Well, the Grizz came out and smacked the Jazz in the mouth. They were more aggressive. They were more ready. And this is another thing like the Clippers. You know, Utah hasn't played meaningful games of late and hasn't had Don in the lineup for three weeks. Conley was in and out for a while. So I think it's just a lack of being ready, which it sucks to lose home court like that. But Dylan Brooks, really controlling the tempo and energy for Memphis. You got to love this guy. I was pissed off during the game, but he was a guy I had in all my fantasy leagues. I I respect the guy. I love 3 and D guys. Uh, He led the team with 31 and 7. 31 points, Utah. Let's fucking go. Clamp down. Uh, Jaw was able to get to the paint when Rudy was in foul trouble. Rudy got in foul trouble early, ended up fouling out. Uh, Derek Favors was big for them outside of that, though, when Rudy was on the bench. Jaw ended up with a, a cool 26. And then bojan did his best effort to come back. He had 29 points, was hitting big threes, uh, came all the way down to the wire. He had a, a shot that could go to tie the game. Terrible shot to take, though. I don't know if he was trying to draw the foul or what the fuck was going on there. Uh, But people are overreacting. Oh, you know, people don't watch the Jazz. They're not on TV a lot. I I mean, if you guys really watch the Jazz and think the Jazz are in trouble, hit me up anywhere. DM me. Comment on the YouTube, whatever. And this is not the case, right? We do not need to panic. The Jazz aren't fucked or in trouble. I don't care if Donovan doesn't play game two. They're going to win, right? This is why. The Jazz shot 25% from three. This is damn near the best shooting team outside the Clippers in the NBA, and they barely lost. You think that's a good recipe? 31 from Brooks, 26 from Ja. You're telling me they're going to have this sustainable over the course of the series? Hell nah. Um, Conley looked good, though. This is his former team, right? He had played his whole career here, and he had 22-6-11. and But Utah has to come out like the Clippers and set the tone, right? They got to physically come out and smack the grid, show them this is our house, and uh, I still expect the Jazz to win in five. Yep, you might think I'm crazy. They're going to win in five. Um, sometimes these game ones with these high-low seeds, like I said, the lack of playing together of late definitely makes a difference. So moving in, we got Wizards and Philly. Philly really struggled with Bradley Bill. He had 33-10-6, and an efficient game as well. Westbrook still shaky, 16 points on 17 shots. But as expected, Joel was too much... He had 30 points, was controlling the paint. And Tobias Harris was just out there shooting wide open shots. This is crucial for the Phillies championship to have Tobias shooting like this. But a lot of this is to blame on the Wizards with his 37 points as the Sixers take game one. I expect this to be a sweep as the Wizards have no defense and the 76ers will be too physical and strong for them. But if the Sixers really have championship hopes, they need Ben Simmons to shoot better. Six points on nine shots, that's not going to get the job done. He's supposed to be a superstar. You know, he's a Westbrook, in my opinion. Like, how is this guy a superstar? He's not going to help take your team over the edge. He's not going to be a crunch time go to clutch guy. He plays good, you know, he's good everywhere, but he's not great at anything, in my opinion. That's going to really hurt the Sixers. Moving on, we got Lakers versus Suns. This was a defensive grind as expected. I figured with the injuries. Uh, to LeBron and AD and everything they had going on that they wouldn't win game one. Definitely came to fruition. The, the Suns have a little bit scary moment with CP3, a little collision, supposedly having a shoulder injury. I haven't heard any updates besides Chris Paul say he'll absolutely play. Um, you know, the, the Lakers, though, coming off that huge energy, energy and fan favorite game against the Warriors... Um, Yeah, it's just going to be a tough battle for them. It's going to take them some time and some games to build momentum. I expected more from LeBron and AD in game one, 100%. I mean, AD with 13 points on 16 shots, just supposed to be a league-leading superstar, and only seven rebounds? Like, come on, man. And then LeBron with 18, 7, and 10. In a game like this where they weren't getting blown out, I would have assumed LeBron would just take over and do do the damn thing. Uh, But that didn't happen either. If you want to beat the number two team in the West and have a chance, you got to be shooting over 20 and 10 with those guys every single night. Like how AD got seven rebounds still blows my mind. But the Youngbloods, right? The Youngbloods taking over. Devin Booker putting the team on his back and eight in control in the post. He had 21 and six. Devin Booker with 34 points. But this series is going to be fun. I'm still going with Lakers and seven and Suns to win the next game at home. Uh, but this is going to be a blast of the series. The more games the Lakers have, I think the better ball they'll be playing. And then another little upset special. This is only a 4-5, though. I don't know if that's too much of an upset. Uh, the Hawks beating the Knicks. I had them winning game one and have them winning in... I uh, can't remember if I said six or seven. But the big storyline here is fans back in New York, Madison Square Garden. It delivered as expected. We had Spike Lee going nuts on the sidelines. The game came down to the wire. I really enjoy the Knicks and the idea of them having fans at MSG, but I just don't expect a lot from their team, um, especially versus the Hawks. I feel like they have more star power. I picked the Hawks in six, so there we go. And um, to win game one, really because of Bogdanovich and Trey Young, I think those two guys are going to be getting baskets at will. There's no one defensively on the Knicks that's just going to shut those guys down. And it seems to be pretty, I seem to be pretty right on that. After game one, Trey had 32-7-10. and 10. He had the game-winning floater, which supposedly Lou Williams told him on the bench, don't pass the ball. Go and win it, young blood. And he he, he delivered, which is really cool. Ice Trey. Uh, he he uh, debuted his new shoes too, the Adidas shoes. Julius Randle, the most improved player award, only 15 points on 23 shots. That's not going to win you any games. RJ Barrett not doing much better either. But the big storyline and the performer in Game One was Alec Burks, ex-Jazz player. I love this guy, man. He's got game. He's super underrated. Uh, but he had 27 points off the bench. I don't expect that to happen every night. This series is going to be very tight. But I'm going to go with the uh, uh, the Knicks winning the next game and losing in six. That will set up the next round in the NBA. We have lots of game action. Already, teams that are losing home court advantage, so it's going to be a fun playoffs. Anyone really has a chance here. I'm giving you my predictions. I watch lots of basketball. You know, I like to think I know what the fuck I'm talking about. But at the end of the day, really, anybody has a chance. Really, anybody has a chance this year, which is great because typically going into an NBA season, we know who the two contender contenders are. We know who the finals are going to be before the season. But I love this. It's like last year at the bubble, you'd never fucking know. So anything could happen. Maybe Alec Burks leads the Knicks all the way to the championship. Highly doubt that happens, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And before we switch to baseball, I saw this and wanted to highlight it. It was a post um, that ESPN read shared by Jake and Hoops, whoever that is. It says, John Morant put Steph Curry and the Warriors away. Jason Tatum dropped 50 Trey Young dropped 32, 10, and 7 in the game winner. Luka Doncic with 31, 11, and 10 to beat the Clippers. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton outplayed LeBron in AD. The next generation is fire. Yes, absolutely. The next generation has the game in their hands. Just like the NFL and all these quarterbacks moving, we're getting the Trevor Lawrence's, the Justin Fields. We're getting all these, you know, Justin Herberts, all these guys, the Lamar Jacksons, Kyler Murray's. Things are shifting. If you're my age, I'm 28 years old, be 29 July. You know, all the childhood guys that I'm used to are becoming new faces. And now that I'm adult, I'm like rooting for kids, which is kind of fucking weird. But at the end of the day, there's lots of superstar talent. But don't let these games trick you to think these guys are going to win the series. John Morant, he's about to be out. Jason Tatum, he's about to be out. Trey Young will win this round, but he's going to be out. Luka Doncic, going to be out. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, they're going to be out. So don't get so bought into these guys that you think their teams are just going to start winning, and especially if you're a better, don't be betting on them. But it's fun to see the youthful talent making their moves, and in the next couple of years, we'll be seeing their teams up, up at the top. So let's talk baseball. Some headlines in the baseball world. Steven Strasburg back from the IL, which is massive for the, the Nationals, that are still, you know, they're still lingering. They're out there. If I look at the standings today, they are third in the division. Oh, no, bottom of the division, but 20 and 23. They're only two games back from the Mets. So they're there. Strasburg come back. That's going to be huge. How about Sunday night baseball? I couldn't imagine being in St. Louis for Sunday night baseball, which is what, 7 Central. People got to work on Monday. Ends up being (laughs) 0-0. Goes into extra innings, but then Javi Baez with the two-run homer that ends up winning the game. Cool, dramatic ending, but that's just a lot of a lot of action happening with no scoring. I thought that was kind of ironic. And then Jacob Degrom coming back to start today for the Mets. Thor's already in rehab, supposed to be coming mid, you know, early to mid June. The Mets are top of the division, 21 and 20, not massively impressive record, but the division is brutal. Um, having these guys back is going to be massive. Having those arms back and healthy. That rotation about to be nasty, boy. And then Miles Mikolos for the Cardinals back on the I.L. after missing, uh, after leaving his first start start with forearm strain. uh, And it's his first start since 2019. So tough to see that. Always want to root for those guys to make a comeback. And then the no fucking hitters, man. Everyone, you get a no hitter, you get a no hitter. Whoever plays the Mariners gets a no hitter. Unless you're the Angels, you make them look like an all-star squad. Pitching's fucking trash. Um, but this is the third year in a row um, that the baseball has changed. I got two balls um, and back here that I showcase. One is a Mike Trout home run ball from three years ago. And it's a little bit more of a leathery, leathery skin feel. And the laces pop out a little more. The balls last year, they had tightened the laces. And it was a little bit more of a greasier ball. Um, and, and I got an O'Towney foul ball there. And then this year, supposedly, it's more of a dead ball. We're seeing more homers, but no grounders or like, uh, you know, plays balls that are getting in play in the infield. Uh, And I mean, the league batting average is like two thirty, which should not be happening. It's already hard enough to be hitting these fucking pitchers throwing gas at ninety five plus. Please stop changing the baseball, MLB. Please stop changing the baseball. Anyways, let's talk last week's action. Guess what, guys? Breaking news. The Angels lose another series. Fuck. Athletics beat the Angels 2-1. The AL wins another little NL battle as the Red Sox beat the Phillies 2-1. AL just just flexing those guns, baby. Uh, The Yankees getting really hot as they sweep the very tough White Sox that lead the AL Central. Big, big series win for the Spankies. And then the Twins beat the Indians 2-1 to to try and gain some momentum as they have one of the worst records in MLB, but beating uh, a, a top team in their division in the Indians who are 25-20. Uh, the Marlins beating the Mets 2-1. to Big win for the Marlins as they find themselves... Um, Actually, wow. This division's wild. The, the Miami Marlins are 23-24 and in second place. So, yeah. I mean, they're right on the heels of the Mets, uh, which is crazy to think about. The Rays sweep the Blue Jays as they can keep on their continue continue their winning ways. And then the Rangers surprisingly sweep the Astros. The Rangers, anybody? 22-27. and 27, They're six games back. But they're putting it to the Strohs, keeping the Athletics' lead and the AL West alive. And then the Cubs beat the Cardinals in that rivalry series. That was a Sunday night baseball series with the Sunday game, uh, splitting the one to one tie and the Dodgers sweep the Giants as they have, you know, two head honchos in that stacked NL West division. The Giants are 28, 19 and the Dodgers 29 and 18. The Padres swept the Mariners. I had some friends go to San Diego Mariners fans. I uh, got to see a little Tatis grand slam, some Homer action, got to see Mr. Tatis in full action, but they sweep the Mariners as the Mariners continue to slide. This weekend we got some good series. We have the Brewers versus Nationals little NL battle, Braves versus Mets, which is a huge, huge NL East battle. That's the Sunday Night Baseball series. We have Blue Jays versus Indians, Royals versus Twins, see if the Twins could keep that momentum going. Padres versus Astros. Two top dogs, one AL, one NL. We'll see if the AL could keep coming out. Giants versus Dodgers again after the Dodgers just swept them, and then uh, the Dodgers, Giants, Dodgers, Giants rematch just right after they had ha- they had played last week, and both teams continue to impress. I-, I just don't expect the Giants to keep winning, but we'll see how they do in this series. as they're going to need some wins after taking uh, falling three games out in a inter uh, division battle. And lastly, we got NHL. We got some chill, man. I love the NHL playoffs. It's a blast. You see seven game series. You see upsets. You never know what's going to happen. And every season, anyone's got a chance. Well, before we we talk about the uh, the major series, Toronto Maple Leafs star John Tavares to be sidelined at least two weeks after game one collision. Really tough if you're a Maple Leafs fan. And Gretzky exiting the Oilers after they get swept, which we'll talk about. And supposedly he has a, a TV gig with TNT as a hockey analyst as TNT has taken on more hockey games, which is great besides just NBC Sports. But let's talk Bruins and Capitals. I had picked the Capitals to win. The Bruins defeated them 4-1, to one, though, and just really smashed them all over the ice. I expected Ovechkin to have one last run in them and around one win before he got eliminated, but he couldn't even deliver. Boston outshot the Capitals 179-163 to 163 and outscored them 17-9. to 9. David uh, Pasternak with six points and uh, Patrice Bergeron with three goals to lead the Bruins. Tuka Rask had good, good momentum after this series, which is great. You want to have strong goalie play within the postseason. And the Capitals eliminated round one for the third straight season. I always wanted Ovechkin to not win a Stanley Cup. He ended up winning one because, you know, the whole Sid versus Ovechkin thing. Um, But yeah, I'm not bummed about that, even though I picked the Capitals. Not bummed at all. Then we got the Islanders and the Penguins. The Islanders with a massive victory last night, leading the series 3-2. Monday's pivotal game five was blown by Tristan Jerry as the goalie woes continue for the Penguins. Very physical game. Game three, there was everyone in the box after this, this big brawl talking shit. Uh, game five, the Penguins outshot the Islanders 50-28 to 28 and still lost in double OT at home. Brutal, brutal loss. I saw Najee Harris and Kendrick Green, the Steelers' new rookies in attendance, getting the people going. But that's just bad. I mean, 50 shots. They had more, almost doubled their shot output and, and couldn't win. Uh, Chris Letang with five points. Sid really needs to get going on the scoring end. You know, he has some points, but they need him to come out. Uh, Boston's just sitting back watching the craziness unfold. I'm sure you know they want to have seven games. Uh, But Pittsburgh's going to have to improve their goalie play and need to have flawless offense if they want this series to go to seven as they have game six on Wednesday in New Jersey. Then we have the Wild versus the Vegas Golden Knights. Big series here. Vegas currently in the lead 3-2 as the Wilds stayed alive last night. Vegas outscoring Minnesota 13-7, not a very high-scoring series. Minnesota is holding their ground defensively, but they aren't able to keep up on the offensive end. They're physical, they're scrappy like they normally are, but they need to find some offense. Mark Stone with five points and four goals thus far in the series. He's on a roll. And the Avs are hoping more games happen as they await the winner after their clean sweep. Game six is in Minnesota tomorrow night. That'll be an is- interesting one to see if Minnesota can stay alive at home. And then Tampa Bay versus Florida. The Florida Panthers survived last night after being down 3-1 in the series. Games have been pretty high scoring and close throughout the series. The most lopsided game in this series was Monday's Panther 4-1 victory. Nikita uh, Kukurov putting the team on his back with a solid nine points and three goals for Tampa Bay. They're going to be tough to beat. Um, The defending champs, no one wants to mess with them, but Florida staying alive. And then we have Carolina versus Nashville. Carolina really coming hot, but the series is tied 2-2 with Game 5 in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Nashville Predators really fighting for their lives to make a series 2-1 after potentially going down 3-0. Duchesne had a big uh, double overtime goal. And then yesterday, Nashville really getting some energy going. Taylor Luan sitting side, chugging beers, his shirt off, grabbing the fans. I love that playoff hockey energy. And they were able to get that huge game four uh, double overtime victory. So Carolina is really going to have to win this next game as they really had this series probably one game away uh, from victory going up 3-0. Sebastian Aho with five points and three goals. And the series has been a slugfest with only one lopsided game. So going to be a fun game five uh, in Raleigh. And then we had my Avalanche. The Blues are no joke, and this is going to be a battle. Nazem Kadri, he got a big hit, has him suspended eight games. He's supposedly appealing it, but I don't know how strong his case is going to be. With a history of suspensions on his side. In 2018 playoffs, he got suspended. And in 2019, his hits in Toronto, where he was suspended five games. So, yeah, I'm not too sure if he's going to be able to appeal that, but a tough loss for the Avs. Um, the Avalanche sweep the Blues, though, and get the whole week to plan, scheme, and recover, watch some hockey, get the shit going out. They had outscored St. Louis 20-7. to And you can't tell me this man ain't the baddest man on the ice. Nathan McKinnon, nine points, six goals in the series. Are you kidding me? I've always wanted to get a sweet hockey sweater, McKinnon sweater. It's time. I need to bust one out. Need to get one going. I might buy that shit right after the pod. Uh Gabriel Landeskog with six assists so far. This shouldn't have shouldn't have been a sweep. You know, St. Louis is without their captain. Uh, but hey, the Aves ain't no joke either. Watch out. And then we have the Jets versus Oilers. I had picked the uh, Oilers to win. They got their ass swept and wiped off the ice. Tough for Connor McDavid. He had four points and one goal. One of the better players in the league getting swept, especially after Edmonton uh, had gotten whooped by the Oilers all regular season, which is weird. Uh, But they have ended up outscoring Winnipeg 14 to eight. And yeah, this was just a surprising one. I I think everyone's kind of head scratched what the hell happened here. It's playoff hockey. You never know. And then we have the Canadians and the Maple Leafs, Toronto up two one very closely battled series. So far, Toronto is uh, leading scoring eight to four and William Nylander with three points and two goals. Jack Campbell looking good behind the goal or in front of the goal thus far. It's going to be interesting though. Um, you know that Pittsburgh uh, Islanders matchups really intriguing. The wild Vegas finish is going to be interesting And yeah, I mean, I didn't expect Carolina-Nashville to be this intriguing, but now here we are, 2-2. So lots of good playoff hockey happening next week. We'll keep talking updates and keep analyzing the playoffs for you. But before I let you go, we got to give Phil Mickelson some props. Like, holy shit. Oldest major champion in PGA history. How old is he, 50? I think I heard 50, but let's see. Yeah, 50 years old, June 16th. So he's about to be 51. Wild shit, wild shit. I think he was like plus 25. I I don't know if I can look it up, but he was some crazy odds. I wish I would have thrown down, put a little bet for him to win the PGA. That would have been a nice payout. But bravo, bravo, Phil. And lastly, no non-story story for you guys this week, but I do have the best sports take of the week. And I thought this was actually pretty fucking funny. This is Colin Cowherd on his Instagram. I usually don't have time to watch his show. Um, But he compares NFL QBs to NBA superstars. Great, I just had it and it went away. He has KD as Aaron Rodgers. I think that's a pretty good fit. Guys that have won top of the game don't really get the glory. LBJ and Tom Brady. It's a great comparison. Russell Westbrook and Cam Newton. That's Russell Westbrook for you, NBA fans. That's what it is. He's great. He'll do it, but he's not winning championships, and he's not going to deliver for you. Get that in your heads. The triple doubles are confusing people out there. We have uh, Steph Curry as Pat Mahomes. I thought that was another great comparison. Damian Lillard and Russell Wilson, just two clutch killers. I I loved that comparison. He has Giannis and Lamar. I don't know if I really agree with that one. I would put Giannis with like more of a Peyton Manning in in my book. And then we got AD and Big Ben. Great, fun little thing that he did. I thought that was awesome. You know, as this podcast continues to grow over time, I'd love to do some cool segments with that. Have someone make some graphics for y'all and and make it really cool. Uh, But I wanted to bring that up. That was a good sports take. I thought those were funny comparisons. I've never really thought of doing that before. Uh, But hey, lots of fun stuff in the... The NHL playoffs, potentially seeing uh, if, if Pittsburgh could battle their way out, assuming it's going to be Golden Knights, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Avs, which would be a massive series. Uh, the NBA playoffs, you know, like I said, teams losing home court advantage already. It's that time, baby. It's that time. We'll see you guys next week for episode 27. And thanks to our sponsor, FueledSupplements.com. Thanks for Josh and the Fueled Fam for keeping me going. Deuces.